The astral realm is a fascinating place. I don't remember when I got here for the first time exactly. I remember I was laying down and then woke up in this strange place. After getting lost and confused for quite some time, I came across this massive blue campfire looking thing. And although strange, it felt pretty comfortable. So I started to set up a campsite. Amazingly, every time I looked for supplies, I found them. Not really sure how that kept happening, but it did, so that's cool. After a while of setting up camp and kind of getting my bearings in general, I began to venture further out and I discovered this fascinating species. This massive floating aerial fish that for some reason had some kind of sparkly goop in its mouth. After taking a bit of a closer look, I realized that I could see something in the goop. A place that looked like home. I came to learn this strange species to be called the portal fish. And you could jump into their mouth to get to where you want to go. Now I'll say it's not a pleasant experience to travel by portal fish, but it does get the job done. Wherever you need to end up, you can end up there. The only problem is that I didn't have a way back. Finding myself back home covered in portal fish goop, I had to find my way back. I, I was really missing the campfire and the realm in general. I tried going to bed a few times, I tried just having good dreams and thinking about the realm, but it didn't quite work. But eventually, I came to a realization. I didn't go anywhere. I returned to the realm. I have come to understand that the astral realm is this sort of epicenter of consciousness, and we simply take trips, some short, some longer, from the realm into these physical planes. Does that make it heaven? Is the astral realm the afterlife, perhaps? No, I don't think so. I think it's broader than that. It's outside of our notion of space-time. It's the astral realm. So here I am, dear listener, sitting here in my desk in the realm, recording a podcast for you. I'll soon be finishing this up, editing the audio, and taking my USB drive to a portal fish and uploading it to your internet. But in the meantime, hello, my name is Endeavorance, and welcome to episode 5 of Podcast from a Desk in the Astral Realm. So where did all this astral realm stuff come from? I want to talk about that for just a little bit. I want to be clear that this is a net new creation. I know that there are other things out in existence called the astral realm or the astral plane or the astral world, stuff like that. Uh, but this is this is its own thing. This This does not pull from any existing astral realm stuff. So this is a totally net new situation, and a lot of it has been done via collaborative fiction, which is just such an amazing way to go about building an interesting space. Collaborative fiction is when you get a bunch of people together and you have a general concept and then give the reins to everyone to just yes and each other into having something fascinating and far more well-faceted and interesting. 
Most of this began when I set up my Discord server. If you want to join and have a fun time with a lot of good people, head on over to endeavorance.camp discord and you can join us. We are an open server and we would love to have you there. But a large part of the beginning of that Discord was fleshing out some of the details of the astral realm. And we did that via a collaborative wiki. Our Discord has an associated wiki, wiki.endeavorance.camp, and any member of the Discord can just log right into it using their Discord account. It couldn't really be easier. And then once you've logged in, you can just edit whatever you want. So we've established this wiki that has a whole section for lore, it has a space for user pages, and it has a space for just general writing as well. And it proved to be a pretty awesome tool for giving people the sense that they really do have control over this collective creative fiction. As a part of that, we established the Lore Master's Hut channel in the Discord, and that was a channel dedicated to just talking about the wiki and organizing on, hey, this lore event happened in the Discord, we should record that or make a page for it. And ultimately, that helped people come together and decide how they wanted to actually tackle writing some of this stuff down and fleshing out some of the lore. And while it's still definitely a work in progress, I'm already proud of what we've got going so far. And as the person who's sort of acting as kind of the glue for all of this. I don't want to say that I own any of this, but I'm trying to keep it moving forward. I've offered a lot of my own ideas and general basis for what we can all build on top of. And the only rule that I am trying to enforce is don't mess with other people's stuff. Just let people make what they want to make. The astral realm is massive, it's expansive, and it has room for your ideas. This is not an advertisement for joining my Discord. I mean, it is. You should join my Discord. My Discord's amazing and it's filled with amazing people. I don't even like calling it my Discord. It is a Discord community that I have the pleasure of being an admin for, but I would love to have you there. But besides that, collective collaborative fiction is just awesome. And it's something that I think gets lost pretty frequently in a world that's filled with real play podcasts of D&D where you hear some DM spinning this amazing well-orchestrated tale and to their credit absolutely as a person who DMs a lot commendable weaving together an incredible narrative is hard and weaving together an incredible narrative that has many wild cards in the form of player characters uh, it's difficult and they absolutely deserve commendations but what gets lost there sometimes is the notion that it has to all come from one person and that if someone else joins in and brings their own lore to the world, it diminishes the story in some way. When in reality, it's, it's quite the opposite. And there's even some tabletop RPG games that acknowledge this and take it to a logical conclusion saying, hey, everyone can invoke that different characters or places or things exist. And it's on the game runner to facilitate that. And so I'd like to take just a little bit of time to talk about a few different tabletop games that are great for practicing collaborative fiction. And the first one I want to talk about is called A Quiet Year. A Quiet Year is a really amazing game built by a really amazing person named Avery who uses the handle Buried Without Ceremony as their production company. A Quiet Year is a game in which you are working with others to draw a map. That is what you do in the game. You draw a map. 
And that sounds a little boring, but it's honestly really fun. The way it works is each turn, you can do a handful of things, but largely you are drawing a card from a deck, and each card represents another day in a given season. You start in spring, then you go to summer, then fall, and the game always ends in winter. The winter deck of cards has somewhere inside of it, at random, effectively just a card that says the game is now over. And what you do is you draw these cards, and you answer the prompt on the card. There's typically a couple of prompts, and you can choose which one you want to answer. And they're questions that help you flesh out the world that you are all building together. Questions like, a new monument appears somewhere, what do you do about that? Or, a local youth is rallying a group to go out and do something dangerous, who is it and what are they rallying for? And it's on the players to collectively work together to sort of invent characters and landmarks and stories within the map that you're building of this town that gets built up over the course of a year, only to tragically meet its end in winter. Now, I don't want to say too, too much about what these cards all have on them or the very specifics of how this game works, because it's not a hard game to pick up, and it's a lot more fun when you don't already know what's coming. It's one of those games where it's it's fun the first couple times through to just not know what, what it's going to throw at you. And after you've played it a few times, it's still a very fun game. It's just you kind of get a sense for, okay, I expect this question to come up soon. I'm starting to think of answers for it. It's a lot more fun when you don't know what to expect. Critically, A Quiet Year can be played for free with just a PDF and a deck of cards. You can also get the physical version of the game, which is beautifully packaged in a burlap mini bag, uh, and it's quite nice. I highly recommend that you check it out. Again, it's The Quiet Year by Buried Without Ceremony. Now that I think about it, perhaps I should run a game of The Quiet Year in my Discord. Hmm... The next two games I've actually talked about before, so I'll be like relatively brief about them, but you know me. The next one up is Blades in the Dark, and if you need any more endorsement, the McElroy brothers have just started their next season of their very well-received Adventure Zone podcast, and in this season they're playing Blades in the Dark. And that's not the only pedigree this game has. This game is massively popular in the RPG space. It has spawned entire break-off games that use the same rolling system and the same general concept, and just sort of rework all the lore around it. But Blades in the Dark is a game in which you and your friends are criminals. You are part of a crime gang and you do crime things in a crime city. The idea is that you can't really leave the city limits, it's too dangerous to go out beyond the city, so it's a bit of a crucible and you're just sort of stuck there, making your mark against a bunch of other gangs and trying to get rich so you can retire. The game has a lot of incredible mechanics, it's really easy to learn and roll, there's not a whole lot to learn about how to actually do the rolls. And it has wonderfully thought out character sheets and a pre-built setting for you to use. So you can just pick up the one book and start going. It's, it's excellent. But Blades does a lot to bring the players into the world building. For one, it lets you establish that you have allies and enemies. And you can just kind of invoke that these people exist somewhere in the world. It lends itself really well to the players saying, this thing happened or this thing didn't happen. It has a mechanic built into it where you can flash back to things that happened in the past and then roll and see how those situations played out. So your players can flash back to meeting people and doing things and going places that 
were never previously established, but now they are in fiction established as a thing in the past. This is a pretty creative way to do collective fiction, and it really gives the players the sense that they have not just autonomy over what they're doing, but an impact on the world that you're all building together and playing within. And it's a lot more fun when the players feel like they have skin in the game and they're not just tourists in your destination. The last game I want to talk about, and I've talked about this one before as well, and this one doesn't have as much explicit players own the fiction just as much as the DM, but it's called Quest. The website is adventure.game, and it's an extremely lightweight tabletop RPG. It's like if you took D&D but made it as straightforward as possible. It takes about 15 minutes to read the entirety of the player's section of the handbook, and then you can just get going. And what's really cool about Quest is that it doesn't have a whole lot of structure, and so it lends itself very well for the guide in this case. They don't use the term DM, they call it a guide, which I think is a better term for, again, including everybody. But the guide is supposed to bind the world together and make sure that it all makes sense. But you can give your players a lot of room to work with. And, and just like with Blades, you can just say, hey, invoke that characters exist. Just say that you've been to this town before. Or just say, oh, yeah, there's a shop over here that has this shopkeeper that was a friend of my parents or something like that. Of course, it's up to the guide to make sure that nothing gets broken, and it's up to the players to engage in good faith and not just say, oh, look, I found this absurd overpowered sword. But when everyone is working together to build the world that they want to play in while keeping it sane and grounded, it makes something much better than any one person could have come up with. And the key ingredient is a table full of people who all want to maximize each other's enjoyment of the experience. And so I hope you can see the theme of this episode. I highly encourage people to let yourself tap into the creativity of others and don't be afraid of collaborating with them because amazing things can come out of it. Always seek other opinions and always seek diverse opinions. It's really easy to get lost in the notion that you know what you want to do and you, you have the best idea for what your worlds should be. I've been there. I absolutely am there all the time. I, I love world building. It's one of my top hobbies and I love weaving together fun narrative fiction. And I like to believe that one day I'll write a book, but probably not. Let's be real. But regardless... I have found that I've been amazed at the creativity of other people, especially when you go in with the understanding that you have to give up a bit of control, and in return, it will absolutely pay off. Something that I think happens quite a lot when people are building up fiction in their heads and then don't love feedback that they get from others is mostly a communication issue. The person who's come up with all this stuff in their head has a really strong understanding of what everything is and the rules that they've bound this world in. And then you go to show somebody else and you try to give the best explanation you can, but you're missing the intimate and intricate details that you've been stewing with for weeks, months, years. And then here comes this person making a snap judgment on the entirety of this concept that you've had in your head and who are they to impose on what you wanted to build. They just don't get it. They need, to, they need more context. They need to understand where you're coming from and what your goals are. They need to have the entirety of the context that you have. No, they don't. You just didn't communicate it super well. And their idea probably still has merit. It is a chance for you to learn how other people are perceiving your work. And it's a chance for you to either hammer out some more details or understand that maybe what you're getting from a fictional concept 
is not the same as what other people are taking away. It's the classic problem of there are stories that are very fun to tell and there are stories that are very fun to hear. You gotta find a middle ground. But anyway, that is enough about collaborative fiction for now. I think we can go ahead and move on to some parting thoughts. I talked about this earlier this week on a TikTok video, actually, but I want to expand on it just a little bit more. So let's talk about journals and to-do lists. Journals and to-do lists are tools, and you should treat them as such. It's really easy to start journaling or start maintaining a to-do list and getting overwhelmed or feeling like you haven't been following up or keeping up with all of it and so you feel bad and it's just, it's sitting there judging you. All of those to-dos are just collecting and you're not getting to them. It's really easy to feel like a failure when you're looking at all the tasks that you haven't completed. But that's not how it should work. If you want to make the most of a journal, of a to-do list, of anything like that, You need to look at it like a tool. Look at it like something that you can lean on to help. Think of it as a thing that you can offload your thoughts into and then not worry about it until you're ready. A to-do list, when it's really helping you, is going to take all the tasks that you've collected over time and show you what's relevant right now, not what absolutely has to get done and you're terrible if you don't do it. Now, of course, if you're the kind of person who has tasks that they absolutely do have to do, for example, maybe a student or a doctor who has to save lives, yeah, do your tasks. Do it on time. But if that's not the case, you really don't need to let it control your life, and you should instead see it as a thing that can help you, a thing that can make it so that you don't have to keep everything in your head all the time. And when you're ready to take on a task, just consult your to-do list and see what's reasonable to do right now. And if you don't get around to something and it just sits there on your to-do list and it keeps showing back up and you keep pushing off the, the due date and it keeps popping back up, if you're not getting to it and your life is not being made materially worse and there's no one depending on you to get it done, then who cares? You're just not going to do it and that's okay. It's okay to change your perceptions of what you will and will not accomplish right now. You've probably got more time than you think. So write stuff down when it pops in your head and don't worry about where you're putting it, or what you're going to do with it later, or whether or not you're going to get back to it. It's not a contract. It's just documentation. Well, that's going to do it for this time. Thank you so much for taking some time with me today to hang out in the astral realm. I hope you learned a little bit about the perceptions of the realm here, and I hope that you take a dive into some of those games. As a quick reminder, they were A Quiet Year, Blades in the Dark, and Quest. Have a good time playing those. I know I absolutely have. My name is Endeavorance. Thank you for joining me. Take care and be well.